and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. You can try it free at LogRocket.com. I'm Noel, and with me today is Christina Zhu. Christina's a developer advocate, speaker, engineer, and I have bad joke enthusiast written here in my show notes. She's here to talk about her Seattle JS talk, ES13 and Beyond, the Future of JavaScript. Welcome to the show, Christina. How's it going? Great. And yourself? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to chat today. Before we delve in, can you give listeners a brief overview of who you are and how you found yourself talking about JavaScript and ES? Yeah. So my history with JavaScript actually goes way back. My first exposure to JavaScript was actually when I was a child and I was playing a game called Neopets that probably many millennials have heard of currently. In Neopets, you are actually able to customize your pet's profiles with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, similar to MySpace almost. And that is how I got started coding in JavaScript. I didn't even know it was called JavaScript back then or that it was even considered coding. But I just really wanted to make sure that my Neopet had the best page and that my profile page was super sparkly. The mouse was like a cupcake, stuff like that. And yeah, that was all JavaScript. So that's how I got started. And how I got started coding. Nice. What a good origin story. I feel like I've heard someone else give me this like very similar kind of spiel. It was Neopets. And it's, oh, of course. Yeah. I feel like this was a thing. I wonder what percentage of like front end people can point back at their history and be like, yeah, I can blame little online virtual creatures for my whole life trajectory here. Yeah. Or even like MySpace, you know, because to a lesser extent, MySpace also allowed you to customize with a lot of web dev stuff. <laughs> so I do feel like that's one of the things that we lost as we moved onto like Facebook and Instagram and Tumblr as well. A lot of my friends also got started doing Tumblr stuff. Yeah, I know. I feel like this is a thing I get weird, quirky, like customizable landing pages in front of us. It's just not the same when we've like WYSIWYGed it all and made nice GUIs. It was way more fun when half your friends' pages were like super janky, nothing ever loaded right. And like you saw some ones that was well-made and well-crafted. Like, ooh, nice. Yeah. This person spent some time on this. And then forcing your friends to listen to the Linkin Park song that you had auto-playing on your page. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're taking me back. So let's talk about ES. Maybe just to help frame people who aren't like super familiar with the space. What is ECMAScript, ES, and JavaScript. What's the relationship between those two? I have a hunch most people know what JavaScript is, but what is ES? ES is short for ECMAScript, and that's like the official name for JavaScript. And JavaScript was made in 1995 in 10 days, basically. Um, It was originally called Mocha, and then it was renamed to LiveScript. It was basically made because Netscape wanted to have a scripting language to compete with their upcoming competitor, Microsoft, they were about to release something called Internet Explorer. So crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then recently, a hot new programming language had also been released called Java. So when Netscape finally released LiveScript, as it was known back then, they decided to rename it shortly to JavaScript, which is completely unrelated to Java. But they just wanted to also ride that hype train, right? So that being said, Java and JavaScript are about as similar as a car and a carpet. So yeah, not the same. So why did you choose to title your talk ES13 and Beyond as the main bit of the title instead of focusing on JavaScript? What part of kind of the JavaScript life cycle is driven by the uh, ES standard? So 
for me personally, I actually did not know we were all the way on ES13 until maybe this year. And for me, I just thought the last biggest release was ES6, which was now back like a couple years ago now. Right. So for me, I was like, oh, wow, like we actually are like a couple versions later now. And if I didn't know, then maybe other people don't know as well. Mm -hmm. So I just figured it'd be great to talk about the later versions and teach people about the latest features and whatnot. To move on from history a little bit, is there anything major that's changed or how do you like to frame this discussion? What should devs be paying attention to with these version updates, like from six all the way up to 13? Yeah, so I can talk a bit about that, actually, if you want me to go over each year and their major release. Yeah, maybe like what some big milestones were that are kind of noteworthy. That'd be cool to hear. Yeah, definitely Top Level Await, which was released very recently, is definitely one of the most popular ones that have been released. So that was released last year. But even simpler things such as like optional chaining, uh, which handles nested structures better and rest and spread properties for arrays. These are just a couple of the features that have been released recently. So I just think personally, it's really awesome that we've moved away from the once in a decade update to a yearly evolution of the programming language, which is pretty awesome. So I think at this point, some listeners might be sitting there thinking, wait, I've been using top level await and like optional chaining forever. And I've always just thought it was fine. It's always worked in my browser. Can you explain a little bit about why that is and then why it matters that we are now bringing them into the ES standard? So I do think some browsers like Chrome actually do implement stuff before they are quote unquote like officially integrated into JavaScript. There's a lot of different features that are currently like in, in implementation and being made. But the fact that they are like officially introduced into JavaScript means that they will have compatibility with all kinds of browsers and be set as the new standard. So yeah, you do have libraries that have been helping you implement all of these things in different ways, but having it being officially supported is great and you won't have to do those workarounds anymore. And like you said, those libraries, like the transpilers and the polyfills and all that stuff, they don't have to do as much heavy lifting for us. It's like the code we're writing can be the same thing that is being deployed in the browser. It makes debugging easier. Yeah, you got it right. Yeah, it's super cool. So um, let's talk about some of the new features. What are some of the benefits of, let's start with the first one you mentioned, top level await. So you might remember trying to use await outside of an async function before and ESLint or whatever would be complaining about it. So the fact that we do have top level await now, it allows you to use the await operator outside of an async function. So you don't know, you don't have to like no longer wrap it around an anonymous private function anymore. Mm -hmm. So it simplifies your code a lot. There's a lot cleaner syntax and better error handling. And overall, it's just way easier to use. Was there any functional problem with what devs would typically do before? Like you said, wrap it in an immediately invoked function of some kind. Is there any like functional problem to that? Or is, is this just primarily a quality of life improvement? I would say it's mostly a quality of life improvement, but that being said, I do think that it makes it a lot easier to read the code, which is what programming is all about. Yeah. People will be reading a code, you'll be reading other people's code. And I guess, you know, one of the other big differences is that the execution of the parent module will only start when the child module code is finished. So overall, just a lot cleaner and I think handling edge cases better. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. The next one you mentioned was optional chaining. That one seems pretty obvious. But maybe just to kind of devs that haven't really thought about it in a while or aren't, aren't maybe JavaScript developers day to day, how does that look and how is that helpful? Right. So 
I'm not sure every JavaScript developer has gone through this, but access a value of a property that's located very deep within a chain of connected objects. So for example, like house.property.owner.name.lastname.firstcharacter. So basically the optional chaining allows you to double check if that each reference in the chain is valid before continuing on. So before you might have to have, I don't know, like a 12 if statements on, does this exist? If so, continue. Oh, does this exist? Oh, then continue. But now you can just add like a question mark after each one and it basically checks that for you. So I know a couple other programming languages have this implemented, but it's really nice to see this implemented JavaScript. It allows us to handle nested object structures a lot more gracefully. Yeah, it's a lot cleaner code. Well, fewer of these if statements going all the way down 19 layers deep to make sure that your properties are actually there and set, especially if you're writing like TypeScript or something and there's a type <laughs> checker enforcing, making sure that you're type safe and not accessing, not accessing null properties. Like this is almost a must. It's super nice. Let's see. Is there anything else cool in the last year or so? I guess maybe just in the most recent version, ES13, that is worth mentioning or might be handy for devs to utilize. Yeah, another thing that I think is really cool is that we now have private class methods and fields. So before that, they were all global and public, which means that fields and methods can be accessed globally and they can be read and modified from outside the class. So before that, you might have seen code where developers said, oh, this is private and they mark it with an underscore right. in front of the method or the variable. But there's actually nothing preventing the code from accessing that. It doesn't assign any particular meaning to variables or any functions with the underscore. But now if you mark it with a hashtag or like a pound symbol before the field and method, it actually makes it private and it is supported by JavaScript. So it actually cannot be accessed outside of the class beyond the regular getters and setters. Nice. Is there any kind of um, workaround for this? I guess I asked the question because I'm curious. I feel like there's a lot of uh, weird fringes of JavaScript. There's always all this stuff where people are going in and like shimming things and writing wrappers around properties and attributes to make other people's JavaScript behave the way that someone wants it to. And it feels like this is going to be a barrier to that. Do you think this is going to change how a lot of these front-end libraries and utilities kind of work? Or do you think that this is primarily just going to be a code health um, for like a given library uh, to kind of just be a little bit cleaner. I will say that writing in JavaScript these past couple of years is, how do I say this, more forgiving. And that attitude is also reflected amongst JavaScript developers as well. So JavaScript is very forgiving in that it allows you to do a lot of really wacky stuff without throwing an error at you. So I do think like this move towards more strict private methods and fields and stricter class type like stricter typing overall, like you can see with the popularity increase in TypeScript that we're moving more towards other more strongly typed languages, which are a bit less forgiving. So I do think that JavaScript developers will have to adapt to that and have to think more strongly typed. I think that is true. It's almost baffling how fault tolerant and just like, hey, just keep going and we'll do as best we can the JavaScript kind of execution environments at large have been so far up to this point, especially with like how much of the internet is really like running through JavaScript to some extent. Like right. it's it's almost baffling. But yeah, I think I agree with the thesis that it's changing for better or worse. We'll see how it plays out <laughs> in the coming years. How about array like access methods? There's been a couple of changes there, right? Yeah, uh, so far we've been using square brackets to access elements of an array. 
So in bracket uh, notation syntax, we just need to pass the index of the element which we want to access, and it returns the item at that index. But to access it backwards, you can also add in negative numbers and do a bunch of wacky stuff. The common practice was to write array.length minus n, where n is the nth item from the n, or even n array.slice, negative n. Um, so the first one, hard to read. The second one, performance issues. So, so in ES13, they've added the dot at method. So it's better for handling the negative indexes and error handling in general. And it also works for strings. So you can do array dot at zero and it gives you like the first item in the array. Or if you have a string at zero, it gives you the first character of the string. So I feel like as equally easy to read, but way better for handling those random edge cases where you want to go backwards and whatnot. Yeah, nice. Are these new methods mainly about like indexing or are there any other utility methods that people might be leaning on? We have like map and reduce, but I'm thinking kind of the more other more complex methods that like Lodash or something people might be using to just do more high level manipulation on arrays or is this largely just quality of life stuff for easier array? access. I do feel like there are like a lot of quality of life improvements. So like in ES14, which was released in June this year, actually, they added like five new array methods. So for example, like two sorted. So it returns right. everything in the array, but sorted, reversed, um, find last, you pass in the function and it finds you the last item that returns true for that function. Just a bunch of the, like little things that makes you think, I thought this was, you know, already a thing, but I guess it wasn't. Yeah. So it's really nice that they've added it. And people that want to interview in JavaScript no longer have to go to Python to get these basic array functions. So now we can do it in JavaScript if you want to interview in JavaScript. Yeah. I, I feel like the the story with JavaScript is always like, I can't remember if this is like actually a method or not, but I'd like, I want to do this. And then you got to Google it and then figure out if it's in the library. Right. Yeah. So those are always nice to see. And let's see, I feel like we're flying through these. Is there anything else as just these nice little easy to understand rock quality of life features that devs might care about? Uh, yeah, I can talk about some of the features that were most used as described by the state of JavaScript 2022. Oh, yeah, perfect. Top level weight is definitely coming in at number one. More 67% of people that have heard of it have used it. So definitely seems like that was something that people really wanted and Great to see that it shows up in my code today, even. Object.hasown also coming in around 41%. It checks if it has its own property. Uh, we have already have functions similar to it, but we have a specific function for .hasown now. Numeric separators is one that has been introduced that I don't feel like a lot of people know about. So it allows you to use stuff like underscores to allow you to read big numbers easier. So if you are trying to hard code like a number that's in the trillions for whatever reason you can separate it with underscores now which makes it a lot easier to read oh cool i didn't know about that one yeah nice that's awesome yeah and then there's also promise.any which is also coming in at 43 percent and one of the ones that are a little less used is array.findLast. so a lot of the newer array functions people don't know about but i figure once they do they'll probably start using them more Nice. Is promise dot any like essentially just giving you the result of the first promise? Does it like wait for a single promise to finish in an array of supplied promises? Yeah. So promise dot any is a promise combinator. It resolves as soon as any one of the promises is fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So it takes in an iterable set of promises. So very similar to promise dot race, it resolves as soon as any of the promises resolve. It disregards all the other rejected promises, but 
unlike promise.race, promise.any only rejects when all promises are rejected. Uh, I see. That's a subtle difference. So it'll wait. If any of them succeed, it'll then return the succeeding promise. But if all of them reject, it still rejects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, hey man, I'm still, I'm hung up on the number separator one. I didn't know that was a thing. Is it only underscores with the number separator one or can you use like other symbols as well? In the examples that I've seen so far, it seems like underscores are the most popular one right now. Yeah. So it's pretty helpful when you're dealing with large numbers or bit masks. So it does work with bit masks as well. Oh, cool. Nice. I can't even count the number of times that I'm looking at these huge, like it's usually like time or something. It's okay. This is 600,000 seconds or something. Yeah. I'm like count, counting out this number of zeros here and, and trying to make the math work. Yeah, very cool. Are these trends that you're looking at, are these patterns kind of what you expected or you know, were you expecting to see any features higher or lower in that list? That's a great question. I do feel like recently I have been working in TypeScript a lot more. And you know, the more that I've come to work in it, the more I enjoy it. And I was not surprised to see that the industry is also moving towards that trend. But there's a couple other things that I thought were really interesting from the state of JavaScript 2022, which is top level weight saw a 26% increase in usage, Vite or Vtape is a very hot and growing fast library. It won four awards last year. Yeah, it's growing quickly and it's very fast. Yes, I do believe I saw a statistic that was like it has a 98% retention rate among users, yeah. which was really insane. Am I pronouncing it right, by the way? Veet is, is how everyone I've talked to, yeah, on the team and everything. Yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was not correct both, both ways. <laughs> it's probably one of those that people love it, but I bet half of people are saying it wrong. So I feel yeah. like you're in a large cohort there. So where the biggest innovations are currently in the space are in reactivity and hydration specifically. So um, it will be really cool to see, you know, lots of future improvements coming in. Um, related to performance, I feel like. There's been like a big shift towards things like server-side rendering the past couple years. So I'm really excited to see those trends continue. And most interesting is that private fields were actually the most commented new feature. Apparently people were having debates about private fields and whatnot. And from what you've described, I can kind of understand why now, but I just thought that was funny that people were fighting about private fields. It's not super surprising to me that there's some contention there because I think there are a lot of libraries and tools and stuff. The way that people think about JavaScript is kind of like, I can always go in and do anything I want, even with other people's code that is running on the page, right? And I think this is a philosophical departure from that, like a step in the other direction a little bit. Yeah, so it's it's not super surprising to me. Is this analysis leading you to any predictions on what future versions of ES will look like or what will be in the definition? You can actually take a look at the current proposals that are in flight. So TC39, which is like the group of folks that kind of decide and figure out what goes into the next version of JavaScript, they have a very transparent and open proposal method. So it's very similar to just opening a PR. You describe the issue that you're having with JavaScript, you code a solution, they add comments and tear it to pieces and go into this internal cycle of improvement until everyone is happy with what they've got. So you can actually go and take a look at some of the proposals currently and see what stage of the process they're in. And they are all there like on their website and in the GitHub repository. But personally, I do think that we will be seeing, it depends on what do the JavaScript developers want and what does TC39 think will be like a good improvement for the language. Yeah, I'm curious to just from a more like a higher level 
here. Do we know when the next major version will be? Because it sounds like things are slow for a while and we've had a bunch of versions in the past few years. What does that release cadence or spec, you know, when in the solidification of the spec, how does that timeline look? It's funny that you asked that. So before ES6, which was in 2016 or 2017 now, the last release was like in 2009 or something. So after ES6, the uh, TC39 specifically wanted to move towards a more yearly release schedule. So ES14 was released in June this year, and I'm expecting ES15 will probably be released in the summer of next year as well. So we can probably see it then. But, you know, as is with the yearly releases, they will be a lot smaller and less groundbreaking than, you know, a once in decade release. Because I remember like when ES6 was released, everyone was like so hyped yeah. about it and it was like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, like we said before, just we had to do so much less polyfilling and stuff. It's just that we can, yeah, like we can actually be a lot closer to the code that's really running in the browser. And that was super nice. You mentioned before the increase, or we talked about the increase in TypeScript usage and how JavaScript, the ecosystem just feels more regimented and strict. How do you think that the increase in the uptick on TS has kind of looped into and influenced the features that are getting put into the ES specifications? So I guess for folks that don't know, like TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript that allows really strong typing. There are like a couple perks for this. So it allows IDEs to provide better autocomplete navigation, refactoring, and it reduces the number of runtime errors significantly, which speeds up the speed of development. So the traction that TypeScript has gained in the past couple of years is pretty incredible. And several very prominent JavaScript libraries like Vue, Angular, and Dito, for example, they recommend it or even use it by default now. So if you use some of the most popular libraries, it's more than likely you'll be picking up some TypeScript now as well. Do you think that that is influencing what features are getting added to ES or do you think that's a separate discussion? I do feel like it does have an influence in it. And I do think we'll be seeing a shift towards that. So another interesting statistic that I saw in the state of JavaScript 2022 is that actually I would estimate around 35% of JavaScript developers code almost 90% of the time in TypeScript now. So actually 100% of the people that code exclusively in TypeScript, that accounts for almost 20% of all JavaScript developers. So a lot of people are either coding 50% of the time in TypeScript or more right now. So I do feel like this kind of shows a demand for the kind of features that TypeScript offers. So it wouldn't surprise me that we move towards that in the future too. Do you think that there's just like application patterns or the way in which code ends up being written? Do you think that is influenced by this shift to TypeScript? I do think so, yeah. So you mentioned like Lodash earlier, right? I do think we will also be like, seeing an adoption of functional programming concepts too, just because I do feel like a lot of these things lead to more bug resistant code. And for like a like language like JavaScript you know, that was originally written in 10 days, I feel like that might be something that developers are looking to emulate, especially as a lot more products are being built in the web and in the browser, right? So it makes sense that corporations and larger companies would be trying to build code that is more bug resistant and failure resistant, right? That's more like classical object oriented programming or whatnot. It's kind of interesting then to loop back and talk about private class methods and optional chaining and think about these things through that lens of like functional versus object oriented programming, because 
private class methods, for the most part, in a highly functional code base, aren't really going to impact how most of that code is is written and running. But optional chaining, on the other hand, one could argue that is kind of is universally helpful. Um, but I guess maybe these array, like the array methods, are a better example. Like you said, like these kind of high level array manipulations, where you can just like mutate data on the fly as you go without having to copy it or create objects to hold it. That does feel much more functional. So it seems like the ES spec is trying to be as agnostic as it can be in supporting devs. However, they're using JavaScript, but these patterns are emerging nevertheless. Do you think that that's true? Or do you think that there's like more kind of time being spent thinking about how to write more functional code? So the question is whether we'll spend more time writing functional code or... I think more like do the ES updates, do those seem to be mainly focused on suggesting or pushing devs towards writing more functional code? Or do you think that they're agnostic of more traditional object-oriented versus more functional JavaScript? That's an interesting question. So all the proposals, right, are mostly driven by the users themselves. So I do feel like it is like a reflection on what JavaScript developers as a whole are more interested in right now. And TC39 is really there to facilitate that and keep like high quality for the code that's integrated into the language. But I guess we'll see, right? It depends on the state of the JavaScript developers right now. Yeah, I think so too. It's It's been interesting to see unfold. This is, I don't know, the stage I've been paying the most attention to. And I think I just probably have more perspective because this is like what people have been working on since I've been a professional software developer. And it's cool to see evolving. Are there any kind of big outstanding JavaScript pain points that either you just anecdotally feel are there or you've seen in the wild or as a result of the state of JavaScript surveys you think need to be addressed soon or people should be focusing on? Yeah, so that was actually one of the interesting things that I also read in the state of JavaScript 2022. So the number one pain point right now is code architecture clocking in at around 35%. And then the other pain points that are mentioned is managing dependencies, state management, date management, debugging, and finding packages. So these are a couple of the bigger pain points that developers have mentioned. So you ask what features do you think we'll be moving towards? I think it will be features that will be addressing these pain points. There's another question where they ask, what do you feel like is missing from JavaScript? Um, The number one response was static typing. Next, you have standard library, time back to date management, better date management, immutable data structures, and observable JavaScript. So I just think just from this survey alone, you can kind of see what JavaScript developers are having trouble with and what they think should be improved upon. So I do think we'll be seeing hopefully improvements in JS addressing these pain points in the next couple of years. Again, like in my numerical separator example before, it's always time is like the crux of so many development problems. It's time zones off by one error. It's just managing dates. Cool. Yeah. Is there anything else that you observed or noted in putting together this talk or just in reading through the survey that you wanted to talk about or maybe steer listeners towards? Yeah, I guess I can talk a bit about how the popularity of frameworks have been going in the last couple of years, which oh, sure. I thought was interesting personally. So for example, interest in front-end frameworks Svelte has been introduced since 2019 and since then has been gaining a steady increase in adoption. Um, while things like Vue and React, there's still a pretty large interest in them, but it has fallen slightly uh, the past couple of years, probably because of the introduction of Svelte. The biggest fall we've seen actually has been in Angular. So 
uh, JavaScript developers um, apparently are not as interested in Angular anymore. I'm guessing probably due to a lot of the newer frameworks. That being said, adoption is still pretty high just because a lot of the apps written in the last couple of years, you know, are in Angular. And then we have Ember, which is staying pretty steady at around like 20% interest rate. And it has not really gone up or gone down. So I figure Ember will just chill there for a while longer. Yeah. Yeah. Have you explored any of these frameworks recently yourself and been impressed by the newer players at all? I would say that I'm mostly a React developer. I am pretty happy with uh, a lot of the improvements React have made in the past couple of years. And React Native is pretty cool. I have not had a chance to really work in Svelte, but uh, seeing how many people are interested in it and how happy those users are, you know, I would be happy to give it a shot. I think the interesting story with Svelte is how early SvelteKit was introduced into the ecosystem and how much that is influencing, you know, the whole language in the community and, and the framework in the community and how people think about it. Yeah, so I think a lot of this stuff is is worth a weekend project, at least, to see for devs to understand what's out there. Cool. Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me, Christina. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I had a lot of fun today, and it'll be really great to see where JavaScript goes the next couple of years. I think it'll be a very exciting time. Yeah, yeah, I agreed, agreed. Yeah, there's a lot to pay attention to. Again, yeah, thank you so much. Great, thank you. <laughs>